वेलकम एवरी वन टू दिस लाइव पॉडकास्ट ट्विच वेर यू कैन फाइंड द न्यूज फ्रॉम द रिसर्च इंडस्ट्री डेट हाउ आर रिसर्च कीप ऑन रिसर्चिंग ऑन वेरियस टॉपिक्स एंड डोमेन्स टू कीप आर लाइफ स्टाइल बेटर ऑफकोर्स एंड दीज आर्टिकल पोस्टेड ऑन अवर वेबसाइट नेम्ड पोस्ट साइंटिस्ट डॉट कॉम सो इफ यू आर विलिंग टू चेक प्लीज चेक आउट अदरवाइज लिसनिंग टू दिस पॉडकास्ट विल बी इनफ फॉर यू गैस एज इट्स एक्स लाइक एन आर्ट का ऑन द डेली बेसिस प्रोवाइडिंग एज इन्फॉर्मेशन from the research industry itself so without wasting any further time let's get started with the first topic of the day simulation predict the existence of black hole radio wave hotspot okay let's see black hole region in space time where gravity is so strong that nothing can escape from them are among the most fascinating widely studied cosmic phenomenon while there are now countless theories about their formation and underlying physics many questions remain unanswered okay one of the long standing question in the study of black holes is why the plasma surrounding them glows so brightly as shown by the few direct telescope images collected so far in a paper published in a physical review letters researcher at university grenoble alpes cnrs trinity college dublin and university of maryland presented computer simulation that offered a viable explanation we were very impressed by the recent publication of images of the super massive black hole m87 asterisk by the event horizon telescope eht collaboration benjamin crinkwood one of the researcher who carried out the study told physics.org this observation told took place when this black hole was at a historically low luminous luminosity it was quiescent however m87 asterisk is known to produce bulge flares of emission at various wavelengths up to gamma rays the key objective of the recent study by crickward and his colleagues was to make prediction about how images of the black hole m87 asterisk collected by the eht collaboration would like uh, would look like if they were collected during one of its common outburst of emission to do this they performed a series of kinetic plasma simulations representing the vicinity of a sp- uh, spinning black hole during such outburst This novel simulation tool for understanding plasma behavior in such a such an extreme environment was developed by was developed very recently Crinkwood explained its goal is to treat the plasma from first principle and to include relevant microphysics which would be washed out in the common fluid framework magno to hydro uh, hydrodynamic simulations then one needs to know how matter is coupled to radiation which is ultimately observed from earth okay theoretical uh, and experimental studies have showed that in black hole experiment environments photons do not propagate in straight lines due to their strong gravity in their kinetic simulations crinkwood and his colleagues tried to account for this by implementing a ray tracing module which traces the light emitted by the plasma around a black hole from the simulation to an observer overall 
The simulation carried out by this team of researchers suggests that under certain conditions, magnetic field instabilities can lead to the production of radio wave hotspots who would rotate around a black hole's shadow. The team predicted that for large black holes such as M87 asterisk, the orbital radius of the hotspots would be approximately three times larger than the radius of the black hole and the hotspots would take around five days to orbit the black hole. Our main contribution is the realization that when the black hole is in such a state, the image should display hotspots which are expected to rotate with time, Crinkwood said. These hotspots are the signature of plasmoids, closed magnetic structures in the black hole, magnetosphere. We also expect the image to shrink within the photon ring, which is commonly invoked as being the shadow observed by the EHT in 2019. The simulation run by this team of researchers introduced an interesting theoretical hypothesis that could be verified by future astronomical observations. Specifically, they predict that the radiation emission patterns observed around black holes could be due to the breaking of magnetic fields and resulting formation of radio wave hotspots. The current version of the EHT might not be sensitive enough to capture the emission patterns they simulated due to this limited spatial and temporal resolution. Nonetheless, Crinkwood and his colleague hope that future version of the telescope will help to validate their theory. In the future, we wish to pursue two lines of research, Crinkwood added. Firstly, we are updating our module to account for the polarization of the emitted radiation to increase the prediction power of our model. In 2021, the EHT released polarized observation of M87 asterisk. So, the time is now ripe rip for theorists to make such prediction. On a theoretical side, we also want to better understand what drives this transition between a quiescent and a flaring state. We will especially need to understand that associated time scales, reoccurrence, times of the, of the flares, typically typical rising time, etc. Moving on to our next topic. Study hints that the potentially crucial role of the shear stress in the activation of pain sensing neurons. Feeling of pain and discomfort are crucial to the survival and evolution of animals as they help to detect injuries or existential threats and pinpoint their location in the body. Pain signals are produced by no susceptors, sensory neurons that respond to damage to the body and send threat signals to the spinal cord. Noisy receptors, that is neuron sensing pain, are essentially bare nerve endings that can be found in all parts of the body, okay, including the skin, muscle, bones, and vice versa. While many neuroscience studies have investigated their structure and function, their mechanism underpinning their activation remain poorly understood. 
Research at University of Massachusetts Medical School and Worcester Polytechnic Institute have recently set out to better understand these mechanisms by conducting experiments on fruit fly larvae. Their findings published in neurons suggest that these neurons specifically respond to shear stress, that is, stress caused by two forces of similar strengths acting on opposite sides of a body and moving in opposite directions, but do not respond to strength. The physiological relevant forces involved in activation of no noisy receptors are still unclear. Yang Sing, the senior author of the paper, told Medial Medical Express. The prevailing view in our field is that no receptors should be activated by stretch of cell membrane. However, when examining noise receptors in Drosophila, that is fruit flies, we found surprisingly the stretch did not active noise receptors. Okay. The key goal of the recent work by Ziang and his colleague was to identify the specific forces that lead to the activation of the pain-sensing neurons and elucidate the underlying transduction mechanism. To do this, the researcher first conducted a behavioral experiment where they poked a fruit fl uh, fly larva using a calibrated fishing line. In the absence of simulation, larvae tend to move forward with frequent changing of direction, Ziang explained. However, when we poked a larva, it stopped moving and displayed a 360-degree body rotation. This rolling was interpreted as no noise-offensive behavior, that is, animal behavior aimed at withdrawing from danger. The strength of response was, made, was measured as uh, as a percentage of animal that rolled in response to poking. Using computer modeling, the team found that poking a fruit fly larva could elicit two different kinds of forces, stretch and shear stress, uh, to stimulate noise receptors. The following calcium imaging experiments to explore which forces are responsible for noise receptor activation. The researchers tried that larvae noise receptor or apply a shear force to them. They found that the larvae noise receptors were activated by shear stress but not by stretch. They were also able to identify the specific type of ion channel that is found in noise receptors and, and is activated by shear stress called transient receptor potential A1, trap A1. Interestingly, shear stress appear to be able to activate trap A1 in a small patch of cell membrane devoid of cellular environment, providing evidence of trap A1 as a molecular sensor of shear stress. They further show the effect of shear stress was the modulation of membrane fluidity. Our study has two notable findings, Yang said. First, we showed that shear stress could be a physiological relevant force that is critical for activation of noise receptors. Second, we provided evidence that TRAP A1 is a shear stress sensor and, their pro and this property is conserved for TRAP A1 derived from drosophilia, mice and humans. Most known 
magno sensitive eye channels in the body of animals are known to be sensitive to stretching the recent work by this team of researchers shows that trap a1 is not this key finding suggests that mechanical forces other than stretching could be involved in the sensing of pain in the future it could pave the way of your future studies into trap a1 and other noise receptors potentially leading to new and important discoveries during our investigation we noted that trap a1 is highly expressed in the drosophila gastrointestinal intestinal zyang added here stress is a natural mechanical force associated with food passing and contraction of gastrointestinal tract we are currently investigating how stress sensing for of trap a1 could contribute to gut tissue growth and function moving on to our next topic is there a common sound of swearing across languages <laughs> okay it's going to be an interesting topic of course let's see swear words across different languages may tend to lack certain sounds such as l r and w suggests research publication psychonomic bulletin and review okay this common pattern in profanity indicates that these sounds are called approximates may appear less offensive to listeners okay swear words are thought to have sound uh, that help facilitate the expression of emotion and attitude but no study to date has investigated if there is a universal pattern in the sound of swearing across different languages of course man because according to me it's more likely dependent on the previous or the culture background uh, he is coming from so it's not going to be same or sound the same language like that i mean it's not a universal sound which we call uh, or which we need to hear like uh, we he- uh, hearing a sound from the sun rays or any other planet so i mean it's not true okay shri lev airy and ryan macke from royal hallway university of london conducted a pilot study with speakers of five unrelated languages 20 individual per language and asked them to list the most offensive word they knew in their language excluding racial slurs the initial study revealed that swear words were less likely to include approximates which include sounds like l sorry which sounds like i r w and w The author suggests that approximates approximants may be less suitable than other sound for giving offense and investigated this in two further studies okay the author asked 215 participants from across six different languages to rate pairs of pseudo words imaginary words created by the author one of which included an approximant For example, in Albanian, the author took the word zog, meaning bird, and changed it to yog to include an approximate and sog without an approximate. Okay? The author found that participants were significantly less likely to judge that words with approximates 
word swear words and selected words without approximants as swear as swear words 63% of the time in the following study the author also looked at minced oaths which are variation of swear words deemed less offensive for example down instead of damn the author found that approximants were significantly more frequent in minced oaths than swear words the author proposed that this introduction of approximants is part of what makes minced oath less offensive than swear words the use of approximants may not necessarily rendered a word inoffensive but the author suggests that their finding indicate an underlying trend in how swear words may have evolved across different languages the author also highlight that some languages such as french do have swear words that include approximants but french speakers included in the study still rated the pseudo swear uh, lacking approximants as swear words suggesting there may be a universal bias The author concludes that their work suggests a potential universal pattern to swear words across different languages with uh, the lack of approximants a common feature when preserving swear words. Okay, moving on to our next topic. Giant mental plume reveals Mars is more active than previously thought. Okay, let's see. On Earth, shifting tectonic plates reshuffle the planet's surface and make for a dynamic interior. So the absence of such processes on Mars led many to think of its of it as a dead planet, where not much happened in the past three billion years. In the current issue of Nature Astronomy, scientists from the University of Arizona challenge. current views of martin geodynamic evolution with a report on the discovery of an active mantle plume pushing the surface upward and causing earthquakes and volcanic eruptions the findings suggest that the planet deceptively quite surface may hide a more tumultuous interior than previously thought A study prevents multiple lines of evidence that reveal the presence of a giant active mantle plume on present-day Mars, said Adrian Brockwood, a postdoctoral researcher associated in the U Arizona Lunar and Planetary Laboratory and co-author of the study with Jeff Andrews Hanna, an associate professor of planetary science at the LPL. Mantle plumes are large blobs of worms and buoyant rock that rise from deep inside a planet and push through its intermediate layer the mantle to reach the base of its crust causing earthquakes floating and volcanic eruptions the island chain of hawaii for example formed as the pacific plate slowly drifted over a mantle plume We have strong evidence for mantle plume being active on Earth and Venus, but this isn't expected on small on a small, supposedly cold Mars like Mars. Andrews Hanna said, "Mars was most active three to four million years ago, and the prevailing view is that the planet is essentially dead today." Okay. 
A tremendous amount of volcanic activity early in the planet history built the tallest volcanoes in the solar system and blanketed most of the northern hemisphere in volcanic deposits. Bronkman said, "What little activity has occurred in recent history is typically attributed to passive progresses on a cooling planet." Okay. The researchers were drawn to a surprising amount of activity in an otherwise non-descript region of Mars called Alyssum Planitia, a plane with within Mars northern lowlands close to the equator, unlike other volcanic regions on Mars, which haven't seen major activity for billions of years. Alyssum Planitia experienced large eruptions over the past 200 million years. Previous work by our uh, group found evidence in Elysium Planitia for the youngish volcanic eruption known as Mars. Andrews Hanna said it created a small, it created a small explosion of volcanic ash around fifty-three thousand years ago, which is, which in geologic time is essentially yesterday. Volcanism at Elysium Planitia originates from the Cerberus Fosse, a set of young fissures that stretch for more than 800 miles across the Martian surface. Recently, NASA Inside team found that nearly all Martian quakes or Mars quakes emanate from this one region. Although this young volcanic and tectonic activity had been documented, the underlying cause remained unknown. On Earth, volcanism and earthquakes tend to be associated with either mantle plumes or plate tectonics. The global cycle of drifting continents that continually recycles the crust. We know that Mars does not have plate tectonics, so we investigated whether the activity we see in the Cerberus Fosse region could be the result of a mantle plume. Bronkwood said. Mental plume, which can be viewed as analogous to hot blobs of wax uh, rising in lava lamps, give away their presence on Earth through a classical sequence of events. Warm plume material pushes against the surface, uplifting and stretching the crushed molten rock from the plume, then erupts as flood basalts that create vast volcanic plains. When the team studied the feature of Helios and Planitia, they found evidence of the same sequence of events on Mars. The surface has been uplifted by more than a mile, making it one of the highest regions in Mars' vast northern lowlands. Analysis of subtle variations in the gravity field indicated that the uplift is supported from deep within the planet, consistent with the presence of a mantle plume. Other measurements show that the flow of impact craters is tilted in the direction of the plume, further supporting the idea that, sup- that something pushed the surface up after the crater formed. Finally, when researchers applied a tectonic model to the area, they found that the presence of a giant plume two- of 2,500 times miles wide was the r- only one to explain the extension responsible for forming the Cerebrus Fosse. 
In terms of what you expect to see with an active mental plume, Lysium Planitia is checking all the right boxes, Bronquist said. Adding uh, that the finding poses a challenge for models used by planetary scientists to study the thermal evolution of planets, this mantle plume has affected an area of Mars roughly equivalent to that of the continental United States. Further, future studies will have to find a way to account for a very large mantle plume that wasn't expected to be there. We used to think uh, that inside landed in one of the most geologically boring regions on Mars, a nice flat surface that should be roughly representative of the planet's lowlands, Bronquid added. Instead, our study demonstrated that inside landed right on top of an active plume head. The presence of an active plume will affect inter Predations of the seismic data recorded by inside which most now take into account the fact that this region is far from normal to Mars. Having an active mental plume on Mars today is a paradigm shift for our understanding of the planet geologic evolution, Bronquid said. Similar to when analysis of seismic measurement recorded during the Apollo era demonstrated the moon's core to be molten. Their findings could uh, uh, also have implication for life on, on Mars, the author says. The study region experienced floods of liquid water in its recent geologic past through the cause has remained a mystery. The same heat from the plume that is fueling ongoing volcanic and seismic activity could also melt ice to make the floods and drive chemical reaction that could sustain life deep underground. Microbes on Earth flourish in environments like this and that could be true on Mars as well. Andrews Hannah said, adding that the discovery grows beyond explaining the any gametic seismic activity and re- Surgeons uh, in volcanic activity. Knowing that there is an active giant mental plume underneath the Martian surface raises important questions regarding how the planet has evolved over time. We have convinced that the future has more surprises in store. Going on towards the next topic. Research Inspector Distance Gamma Ray Emitting Blazer. An international team of astronomers has performed long term multi wavelength study of a distant gamma ray emitting blazer known as 1ES0647-250. Result of the research published November 23 on rzip.org yield important insight into the long-term variability of this source. Blazer classified as member of a large group of active galaxies that host active galactic nuclei AGN are the most numerous 
extra galactic gamma ray sources their characteristic features are relativistic jets pointed almost exactly towards the earth based on their optical emission properties astronomers divide blazers into two classes flat spectrum radio quasars fcrq that feature prominent and broad optical emission lines and bl lactar objects bl lags which do not at an estimated redshift of at least 0.29 when es 0647 plus 250 is a bl lag object reported to be a very high energy vhe gamma ray emitter above 100 gv g with a flux of about 3% crab nebula flux units the source is bright and variable in all the electromagnetic bands that has been observed many times in optical radio and x-ray bands previous observation of 1es 0647 plus 250 have detected significant variability in the optical band but found no evidence of infrared or short burst variability however the variability time scales of 1es 0647 plus 250 in the optical band are still uncertain mainly due to long gaps in the historical light curve therefore in order to shed more light on the variability of 1ES 0647 plus 250 a group of astronomers led by George Otero Santos of the University of La Laguna Spain has analyzed long-term multi-wavelength data from various spacecraft and ground-based telescopes in this paper we perform the first long-term multi-wavelength MWL study of 1ES 0647 plus 250 the researchers wrote the study found that 1ES 0647 plus 250 case showcases significant long term variability especially in x-rays and vhe gamma rays with an increasing flux in radio optical and gamma ray wavelengths it was noted that such behavior is seen in other blazers where the flux increase over year time scales is compatible with that expected from variations in the condition of the accretion disk the data indicated a long term correlation with no delay between the optical and gamma ray emission the radio emission is correlated with the optical and gamma ray bands with time lags of 393 and 398 days respectively according to the researcher this delay suggests that the radio emission is being emitted from a distinct region of the blazer jet at a distance of about 11.73 light years x-ray spectra of 1ES 0647 plus 250 show a harder when brighter behavior during the low state as well as for the flare that occurred in 2019 moreover the comparison of the simultaneously gev and tv spectra of the source during a flaring activity allowed the astro- allowed the astronomers to estimate its redshift which was found to be 
The authors of the paper also analyzed the spectral energy distribution SED SED and found that a it can be described reasonably well with the with the both one component and two component leptonic scenarios Moving on to our next topic NASA capsule files over Apollo landing sites heads home <laughs> NASA Orion capsule and its test dummies swooped one last time around the moon Monday flying over a couple Apollo landing sites before heading home Orion will aim for a Pacific splashdown Sunday of San Diego setting the stage of our astronauts on the next flight in a couple years the capsule passed within 80 miles 130 kilometers of the far side of the moon of the moon using the lunar gravity as a slingshot for the 237,380,000 kilometer ride back to earth it spent a week in a wide sweeping lunar orbit once emerging from behind the moon and regaining communication with flight controllers in Houston Orion beamed back for photos of a close-up moon and a crescent earth earthrise in the distance Orion now has has its sights set on home said mission control commentator Sandra Jones the capsule also passed over the landing sites of Apollo 12 and 14 but at 12 uh, 1200 miles 1900 uh, kilometers up it was too high to make out the descent stages of the lunar landers or anything else left behind by astronauts more than a half century ago during a similar flyover two weeks ago it was too dark for pictures this time it was daylight deputy chief flight director Zibian Slovi said nearby craters and other geologic features would be visible in any picture but little el- little else it will be more of a tip uh, of the hat and a historical nod to the past scoville told scoville told reporters last week the three week test of flight has exceeded expectations so far according to officials but the biggest challenge still lies ahead hitting the atmosphere at more than 30 times the speed of sound and sur- surviving the fiery reentry orion blasted off november 16 on the debut flight of nasa most powerful rocket ever the space launch system or sls The next uh, flight as early as 2024 will attempt to carry uh, to carry four astronauts around the moon. The third mission target by 2025 will feature the first lunar landing by astronaut since the Apollo moon program ended 50 years ago this month. Apollo 17 rocketed away 
December 7, 1972, from NASA Kennedy Space Center, Cadding, Egwin, Cadnan, Harrison Skimmith, and Ron Evans, Sardin Skimmith, and spent three days on the lunar surface, the, log- the longest day of the polar a- era, while Evans orbited the moon, only Skimmith is still alive. The story has been updated to show that NASA now estimates the flyover of Apollo sites was 1200 miles above the moon, not 600 miles. Moving on to our next topic. Study finds DNA declines with age-limiting fertility. Okay, let's see. Even worms have a ticking fertility clock. Older worms are less efficient at repairing broken DNA strands while making egg cells part of a process that is essential for fertility. A new study from the University of Oregon, UO biologists, suggests one possible reason that Reproduction slows with age. Researcher from the lab of Diana Libido reported the finding in a paper published November 7th in PLOS Genetics. Each sperm or egg cell has only half the number of chromosomes found in a regular cell. During meiosis, the cell division process that forms sperm and eggs, the parent cell must evenly divide their DNA. The, uh, the cost of error can be high since incorrectly divided chromosomes are a major cause of birth defects. To get it right, cells uses a surprising strategy. They deliberately break their strands of DNA and, and then repair them. It's, not, it's one of the most amazing processes in biology, said Eric Torasson. A former graduate student in Libido lab who, le- uh, who led the work. The, progr- uh, the repair process physically locks the chromosomes together and provides an organization point that ensures that the chromosomes are divided evenly. Torreson wanted to understand how aging affects those processes. Eggs lose their viability relatively early in an organism lifespan. But the reason these cells are so susceptible to aging is not well understood. Cell Torreson, who is now a postdoctoral researcher at Princeton University, but one of the factors that considered to be important is genome repair and the idea that they might decline, leaving oocytes developing eggs vulnerable to defects. Worms proved uh, to be an ideal testing ground for those questions. See elegance. Worms are usually hermaphroditic, meaning each worm produces both eggs and sperms. But thanks to a gen- genetic mutation that nixes sperm production, researchers can create egg producing worms 
that are functionally female. Torsen and research assistant Vicky Andler used the trick to separate the effects of aging from the effects of running out of sperm, which happen normally as hermaphroditic worms age and also lead to a decline in fertility. Running out of sperm seemed to affect the rate at which the hermaphroditic worms created breaking in their egg cells DNA the researchers found but the ability to repair DNA breaks declined with age even in the female worms dependent of sperm levels. We found that the forming breaks is altered when you run out of sperm but break repair is only affected by the aging process not sperm libidocid. The team doesn't yet know why this process changes with age but at least of, for worms, it could be related to a shift in resources in worms that have used up all their sperm, unfertilized oocytes sometimes become a food source for offspring since the oocytes aren't being used for reproduction. The worms no longer need to spend resources breaking and repairing their DNA. Moving on towards next topic, new study finds that 70% of Florida chloral reefs are eroding. A new study have found that 70% of Florida reefs are eroding and experiencing net loss of reef habitat. The research conducted by an interdisciplinary group of scientists through the NOAA Cooperative Institute of Marine and Atmospheric Studies at the University of Miami. Docential <coughs> <coughs> School of Marine, Earth and Atmospheric, and Atmospheric Science provides new information on the states of Florida, world's famous coral reefs. The study titled Low Net Carbonate Accretion Characterized Florida Coral Reef was published November 15 in the journal Scientific Reports. This research helped us to better understand which reef along Florida reef tract are vulnerable to habitat loss and required management and restoration efforts to prevent further habitat loss, said the study lead author John Morris, a researcher at NOAA Atlantic Oceanographic and Meteorological Laboratory. On the contrary, we also identify reefs that may be potential holdouts to reef development and more likely to persist in the future. The researcher analyzed the benthic ecology, which is the assemblage of all living organisms inhabiting the seafloor and parrotfish data from 723 reef sites in three biogeographic regions across the state reef tract to calculate each site carbonate budget. The reef tract extends 350 miles from the dry Tortugas to the St. Louis Inlet, a positive carbonate budget indicates a reef is growing over time, whereas a negative carbonate budget suggests that reef is losing structure.
the data from NOAA National Coral Reef Monitoring Program and National Geodetic Surveys was used to calculate carbonate production and carbonate erosion throughout South Florida. The primary driver of carbonate budgets along the Florida reef tract are the amount of coral covered and parrot fish biomass. The researcher found that 506 of these sites were losing reef habitat on an annual basis. This finding underscored the need for enhanced management strategies like outplanning corals to help restore coral structure that has been lost, said study co-author Erika Tovle, coordinator of NOAA National Coral Reef Monitoring Program and Illumina of the UM Essential School. Moving forward, we can use this as a baseline to implement and track the success of management strategies. The Florida Reef Track is the only living coral barrier reef in the continental United States and the third largest coral barrier reef system in the world. The largest driver of coral loss in Florida over the last decade include bleaching events, ship groundings and disease such as the stony coral tissue loss disease discovered in 2014 which continued to decimate Florida and Caribbean Reef. According to NOAA, Florida Coral Reef support 70,000 jobs and generate about $8.5 billion in sales and income annually. Healthy reef also protects coastlines from flooding and storm surges. Unless management strategies are implemented, Florida eroding reefs will likely reduce the extent to which coral reefs can sustain these important economic and ecosystem services, said Morris. Okay. Moving on towards next topic. Small glowing protein allows researchers to peer deeper into living tissues. Okay. Biomedical and genetic engineer at Duke University and the Albert Einstein College of Medicine have designed a small fluorescent protein that emits and absorbs light that penetrates deep into biological tissue tailored to wavelength in the near-infrared NIR spectrum. This protein can help researchers capture deeper, cleaner, more precise biomedical images. This work appeared December 1 in the journal Nature Method. Imaging deep tissue with light is challenging. Visible light is often quickly absorbed and scattered by structure and molecules in the body, preventing researchers from seeing deeper than a millimeter within a tissue. If they do manage to probe further, substances like collagen or melanin often muddy the image, creating the equivalent of background noise through their natural fluorescence. Biological molecules naturally absorb and emit light in the visible spectrum, which is about 350 to 700 nanometers, said Junji Yao, assistant professor of biomedical engineering at Duke. So when using it to image deep tissue, it's like trying to observe the stars in daylight and the signals get flooded out. To weird out from this muddied waters, Yao and his collaborator 
Wojtslaw Wasuska, professor of genetics at Albert Einstein College of Medicine, New York, developed a protein that absorbs and emits longer wavelengths of light in the near-infrared NIR spectrum. Tissue is the most transparent in the 700 to 1300 nanometer window of NIR light, said Yao. At those wavelengths, light can penetrate deeper into a tissue, and because there is less natural background fluorescent to filter out, we can take longer exposures and capture clear images. Vargushka Varkushka and his lab used a process called a directed molecular evolution to engineer their proteins using photoreceptor normally found in bacteria as the basis of the for the structure. These photoreceptors are useful for imaging research because they can switch between a silent and active state when hit with a specific wavelength of light. They can bind with Billy Baden, a biomolecule that appears in high quantities in mammalian and human tissues. We studied the structure of Billy Verdian to determine how the photoreceptor would best attach to the biomolecule, explained Varkushka. After we understood the binding process, we carefully understood, introduced, sorry, Substitution of the key parts of the molecule connecting to the bilirubin to increase the electron binding, which is necessary to obtain the redshifted fluorescence. Last, we performed random mutagenesis, followed by high throughout throughput screening, so the proteins would evolve and increase their brightness. The brightness found protein termed MIRFP718 nano is easily produced in cells and tissues and emits light just outside of the visible range. But while the NIR activation itself is helpful, what happens after the initial burst of activity holds even more promise for biomedical imaging. We have seen that NIR range can be broken up into two main zones explained how when NIR first heat NIR light first hit these proteins. They emit light in the first zone, which is about 700 to 900 nanometers. But as they decay, the wavelength gradually gets longer, like the tail behind a comet. That's when they begin to emit light in the second NIR zone, which is from 900 to 1300 nanometers. In the second zone, all benefit from using the shorter wavelength. Zone 1 NIR light are enhanced. Light can penetrate tissue two times deeper. Background fluorescence is significantly dimmed, and image resolution can be two to three times clearer, allowing for detailed images of complex structures. As a proof of concept, Yao and his team at Duke used an imaging technique called short wavelength infrared sphere to the test of the efficiency of the next protein of the new protein. 
This process and NIR zone one light deep into the tissue to activate the fluorescent proteins. As the protein decay, they emit NIR zone two light that provides information about the structure and composition of the target tissues and cell that can be translated into high resolution images. After introducing engineered MIRFP718 nanoproteins into their animal models. The team used them to capture images of microbes in the mouse digestive tract, visualize cells in a mouse mammary gland, and even track changes to inflammation in a mouse liver. All the images captured were clearer and more detailed than images made using a standard NIR zone, one image protein. Yao and Varushka are optimistic that they continued partnership will be a boom for their work in both biomedical imaging and protein engineering. As Varushka, Varushka continue to refine and improve the fluorescent protein of biosensor, Yao is excited to use the new tool of uh, to visualize the brain more closely and to potentially track the movement of cancer cell. This is an exciting new font for a decade-long collaboration. We can use the imaging tool to guide the protein engineering decision and we can use the advanced protein engineering to improve the imaging capabilities. Yao said. Of course, man. I mean, it's been very uh, useful for many of the uh, doctors and researchers to have a common database and where he can identify those things. So. I mean, that's the improvement we, which we all needed in our uh, in the futures uh, uh, in the future world itself. Okay, right. Moving on to our next topic. X-rays reveals elusive chemistry for better electric vehicle batteries. Okay, let's see. Researchers around the world are on a mission to relieve a bottleneck in the clean energy revolution batteries from electric vehicles to renewable grid-scale energy storage batteries are at the heart of society's most crucial green innovations, but they need to pack more energy to make these technologies widespread and practical. Now a team of scientists led by a chemist at the US Department of Energy DOE, Brookhaven National Laboratory Pacific National Laboratory and Pacific Northwest Lab- and Pacific Northwest National Laboratory PNNL has unraveled the po- the complex chemical mechanism of a battery component that is crucial for boosting energy density. The interface. Their work published today in Nature Nanotechnology. DOE battery 500 Corstrium zeros in one lithium metal anodes. Many electronics including smartphones and even electric vehicles currently relying on conventional lithium-ion batteries. While lithium-ion batteries have become common, have co- have become common due to their high efficiency and long lifespan, these batteries face challenges in more demanding applications such as powering electric vehicles over
to build a better battery sorry guys sorry that high efficiency long life when these battery face challenges in more demanding applications such as pow- powering electric vehicles over long distances to build a better battery for electric vehicle research across several national laboratories and doe sponsored universities have performed a consortium called battery 500 led by pnnl the co- consortium aims to make battery cells with an energy density of 500 watts hours per kilogram more than double the energy density of today's states of the art batteries to do so the team is focusing on lithium metal batteries while lithium ion battery rely on graphite anodes these batteries use lithium metal anodes lithium metal anodes provide a much higher energy density than graphite anodes but there are trade offs one of the biggest challenges scientists currently face is finding a way to stabilize the anode as the battery charges and discharges in search of such a method scientists and brookhaven lab and pnnl led r in depth study on lithium metal batteries solid electrolyte interface the interface is a chemical layer formed between the anode and the electrolyte as the battery charges and discharges scientists have learned that the interface is the key to stabilizing lithium metal batteries but it is a very sensitive sample with convoluted chemistry making it difficult to study and therefore difficult to fully understand the interface influences the cyclability of the whole battery it's a very important but elusive system said brookhaven chemistry anyone who who led the study many techniques can damage the small sensitive sample which also has both crystalline and amorphous phases the scientific community has conducted many studies using variety of experimental techniques including cryo electron microscopy to better understand the interface but the picture is still far from being cleared and complete a comprehensive understanding of the interface provides a foundation for building an effective interface said pnnl scientist zion seo who co-led the study and led the development of the electrolyte the battery 500 constant strongly encourages collaboration we have been collaborating with brookhaven lab closely on many scientific projects especially understanding the interface to dive deeper into the complex and elusive chemistry of the interface the team t- t- turned to a one of the kind tool called the national synchrotron light source second nsls second nsls second shines light on interface chemistry nsls second is a doe office of science user fa- facility at brookhaven lab that generates ultra bright x-rays for shredding the atomic scale makeup of materials you and colleagues have been leveraging the advanced capabilities of the x-ray powder diffraction xpd beamline at nsls second to make new discovery in battery chemistry for many years building on the 
previous successes, the team returned to XPD to gather their most precise finding on the interface yet. We have previously discovered that high-energy synchrotron X-rays do not damage the interface sample, he said. This is very important because one of the greatest challenges in characterizing the interfaces is that the samples are highly sensitive to other types of radiation including low energy x-rays. So in this work, we took advantage of two techniques that use high energy x-rays, x-ray diffraction and pair distribution function analysis to capture the chemistries of both the crystalline and the amorphous phases in the lithium metal anode interface. After cycling a lithium metal battery 50 times and harvesting enough interface sample, the team disassembled the cell, scraped off a trace amount of interface powder from the surface of lithium of the lithium metal and directed XPD's high energy X-rays of the sample to reveal its convoluted chemistry. XPD is one of the few beam lines in the world that is capable of carrying out this research, said Sanjit Ghosh lead beamline scientist at XPD and a co-author co of the study. The beamline provided three advantages for this work. A small observation cross-section which damages the sample less combined technique X-ray diffraction to get the phase information pair distribution function for real space information and a high intensity beam of delivering quality data from a trace from a trace sample this unique combination of advanced x-ray techniques provided the team with a detailed chemical map of the interface component their origin functionality interactions and evolutions we focus on three different components of the interface said brookhaven postdoc shah tan first author of the paper first was lithium hair hydride and its formation mechanism. We previously discovered that lithium hydride existed in the interface and this time we identified the hydrogen source. Specifically, the team identified that lithium hydroxide, which can be found natively in the lithium metal anode, is the likely contributor to lithium hydride controlling the composition of this compound will help scientists design an improved interface with the highest performance possible. Second, we study lithium fluoride, fluoride, which is very important for electrochemical performance and found that it can be it can be formed at a large scale in low concentration electrolytes tensed. Previously scientists believed that lithium fluoride could only be performed in electrolytes using high concentration electrolytes which rely on expensive salts. Thus the work provides evidence that low concentration electrolytes which are the most cost effective can potentially perform well in these battery systems. Third, we looked at lithium hydroxide to understand how it is consumed during battery cycling. These are all very new findings are important for understanding the interface 10 added. Combined these findings help shine a light on previously overlooked components of the interface 
and will enable more accurate and controllable interface design for lithium metal batteries moving forward the team is continuing to contribute to contribute additional studies to the battery 500 consortium battery 500 is currently in its second phase which will continue through 2026 most of the uh most of the people who are uh, in the chemistry or physicist side they will understand it more and of course it's going to be used in various applications so yeah at last i just want to say you guys stay curious stay healthy and keep researching